You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Bloor. Joining me as always, I have Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Uh, it was a rough weekend. Uh, Mushu was sprayed in the face by a skunk. Oh, no. And... Then she ran into the house and rubbed her face all over her doggy bed, uh, our bed sheets. And so that was not an easy, <laughs> easy night there. But, uh, no, it is not. But Mushu is okay. Uh, Mushu has, has recovered. And Mushu is unafraid. Uh, she's outside right now uh, waiting for her skunk friend to return. <laughs> actually, I actually had a coworker who that happened twice to to his dog because wow. he did not learn. But um, glad she's okay. I know the skunk's breaking like harm eyesight, especially. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad she's doing great. That's your uh, your weekly Mushu update from Shake yep. Pink, by the way. <laughs> so we're gonna jump right into the summary of this episode. As you can tell, I'm still recovering from the um, chest congested sinus infection filled nonsense that i've been dealing with for over a week now so if you hear me do a voice crack i promise you puberty's done and over with it's just the phlegm so <laughs> on this week's episode uh shang and i are going to gauge whether sharks fans are overreacting to the sharks recent skid uh, then we're going to speculate on what we think it would take for bob bugner to be fired in season um, this is different than what we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, whether or not he should be on the hot seat. We're going to gauge, based on these last couple games, what we believe it would take. So, afterwards, using exclusive Sport Logic stats, we get inside why the Sharks' power play just doesn't seem to be working. So, as per usual, we note the date for the listeners so that way our information, if you're listening to it and it's outdated, you know why. So it's currently January 5th, 2022. Happy New Year's, by the way. This is the first episode of 2022. Uh, it's 10.56 at night. Beautiful 50-plus degrees night here in Northern California. So, Shang, let's just hop right into current news. We'll just yep. jump right into it head first, I guess. Uh, COVID protocol updates currently, as we know. Logan Couture and Lane Peterson are still in COVID protocol for the Sharks. Uh, but they do they do get Mario Ferraro back for the uh, game against Buffalo and so on and so forth. So um, I'm sure the guys are looking forward to getting Mario back in the locker room. It was noted how much his, uh, his enthusiasm and his just bubbly personality was missed in that locker room. Hopefully getting that uh, getting him back will bring some life and or breathe some life into this uh, struggling sharks team as of late. Eric Carlson and Jake Middleton are both questionable to play with upper body injuries. So it's something worth monitoring for Sharks fans, uh, especially those who are looking forward to 
more games for Ryan Merkley, uh, including myself. So if Eric Carlson were to lose time or lose a game or two or miss some time due to the injuries, uh, you could expect Merkley to jump in much like he did when Eric was in COVID protocol, as well as take over some power play opportunities. It's also worth monitoring if you want to see Mark Evrovlasic back in the lineup. That is also true. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can gain an actual count of Sharks fans that want to see him um, back in this in the lineup. But didn't do much better without him, so we'll see exactly. what happens with that. <laughs> okay, Shane, we're just going to uh, we're gonna hop right into it again. There's, there's no need to beat around the bush here. I tweeted out that the Sharks are imploding right in front of our eyes during the Detroit Red Wings game. I believe it was right after the second goal against when they were on the five-minute major or they were on the, that five-minute power play. And I said that the Sharks are impl- are imploding right in front of our eyes. It got a little bit of traction. Um, fans, from what I've seen, are are just – they're done. They – They've seen this story before, you know, bring back the back to the future meme or gif of uh, Marty McFly saying, hey, I've seen this one before. It, it seems like like clockwork. It's that time of the year for the Sharks to implode, lose a bunch of games that matter, uh, winnable games at that, and um, essentially shoot themselves in the foot and prevent themselves from making the playoffs. So the real conversation that we want to talk about here is whether or not this is an overreaction. So we're going to just kind of talk about where it started. And and for me, it seemed to have started in that Seattle Kraken game. And this is before the new year. Everyone's like, Oh, the new year has been bad for the sharks. It's like, well, let's go even further beyond before the break. The Seattle Kraken came into San Jose and beat San Jose three to one. This is a very beatable Seattle Kraken team. The, the, the fancy stats and the analytics don't do them any real favors. So the following contest was Vancouver. And this was a streaking Vancouver team, very opposite of what the Sharks are doing right now. This Vancouver team with new head coach Bruce Boudreaux came in and beat the Sharks 5-2. to two. We get the 12-day break essentially for the Sharks because they didn't play another game until December 28th. And then that's where most people are starting to kind of make the connection that this team is starting to tumble down, implode, fail miserably, whatever adjective or, or verb you want to use to describe this this team, whatever it is that they're doing or how they're performing. They give up seven goals against the Coyotes. They come back. They win in overtime against a Flyers team. They give up eight goals, including two hat tricks to the Penguins on the second. And then they get embarrassed as, as Tomas Hurdle said, uh, embarrassed by a Detroit Red Wings team and allow six goals against. So at this point in the season, you're, you're seeing a lot of talk and reactions from the fans if, like, just, uh, we're done. Like, we're just throwing the towel. This is just the same old, same old. And they're, they're calling for the coach's head. They, they want the young guys back up. I've even seen like the John McClain truthers come back out of the woodworks. They're trying to ask for John McClain to take over as interim head coach again. So is this an overreaction from Sharks fans? Personally, I think so. I get where it's coming from in so far as it is the same story again that we've seen in the last couple of years. 
my question is, what did you think this Sharks team was to start the season? Yeah. Did you think this team was going to contend for a cup? Did you think this team was mediocre? Did you think this team was awful? I think a lot of people thought that this team was awful to mediocre. In that sense, they basically performed to or outperformed those expectations. Right now, they are 17, 16, and 1 through 34 games. Last year, through 34 games, they were 14, 16, and 4. Just a three-point difference, but that's a big three points. So, in my mind... I, I'm not quite sure, I guess, why, I guess, this much oscillation. I, 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 the way the Sharks started may have may have uh, really got people maybe a little too excited. You know, they won their first four games there. Yeah. And we have seen reasons for excitement, too. Uh, Eric Carlson's play at times, Timo Meyer's play. But by and large, though, what did you think this team was going to be? And they seem to be kind of close to it. Um, they could very well finish this road trip 19-16-1. and one. They went out against Buffalo, and they went out against Philadelphia. And the team is kind of right where you basically expect them to be, or actually maybe slightly better at that point. Yeah. Um, so... I, I understand. Then I guess I guess a way to 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 rephrase it is I I understand why why people are upset because it is sort of the same old story and this team doesn't look like it's going to go very far and they may ha- be put in a position where they have to trade a, a Tomas Hurdle, um, which even if you want to see him go for the assets or whatever, right? Everyone loves loves Tomas Hurdle, even if you think it's a prudent move for the Sharks to trade him just for what you'll get back. But even those guys, you know, uh, you know, that's that's going to be one of those, you know, smiling face on the outside mask and crying on the inside kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, because everybody loves uh, loves Tommy. Um, but. Again, though, yeah, I, I, it just goes back to what did you think this team was going to be and have they really vastly disappointed what you thought this team was going to be? And I don't really think that they have. Um, some people will point to, well, you have Timo Meyer in a resurgent year and you have Eric Carlson in kind of a renaissance campaign. So shouldn't this team be much better? But then you take away things that were good last year, like you've taken away Evander Kane's entire production, obviously. Yeah. Um, just for just for example, and so things sort of kind of start to balance out, and and the team is, I think it's better. For those two big names that I mentioned, Meyer and Carlson, but also two. Uh, Veterans like I think Cogliano, Andrew Cogliano, and Nick Benino, I think they've helped a lot with just how they play and how they kind of uh, uh, keep the team focused and playing the right way more than guys in their stead last year would would have. Guys like maybe just throwing out names that were playing similar positions, got young guys like Dylan Gambrell or John Leonard or something like that. Yeah. I like having the the veterans in their place. Certainly like having Reimer and the potential of Aiden Hill, even though 
Aiden Hill hasn't performed up to his talent level yet. Uh, I like having two goalies that you think, at least in theory, could really run with it at any point uh, in Reimer and Hill, as opposed to Jones and Dubnik last year. So we're talking about then a slightly better team than last year, and that's what the record shows uh, all in all. I think your um, your point that's that's consistently um, overlooked, and I didn't even think about it until you just said it, was the Sharks got rid of, essentially, they got rid of their top point scorer, and they're statistically a better team. They have three more wins. They have three more points this, you know, so far into the season, um, with their top point getter not even on the team. So, as far as depth goes, they're obviously better. Um, but I think you make a good point as far as like expectation, because I've said it on multiple episodes: fringe playoff team, first round exit, right? Well, like what points percentage? And what sort of win-loss record would put them at a fringe playoff team? You're looking at, obviously, maybe high 80s, low 90s points. And you break that, on, break that down into a record, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a lot of games won. You're at 500, essentially, uh, or a little above 500, which is pretty much where they're at. And like you said, if they win these next two games, once, one against Buffalo, one against Philly, they're at 19, 16, and 1, so a little above 500. So they're playing to expectation and maybe it's the um maybe it's the way that they've lost these games that's got people overreacting like they've gone on skids earlier in the season where they've lost a few here and there but it didn't seem as like egregious as these couple of losses right and funny enough we talked about the sharks finally establishing an identity of great team defense and what do they do they go out and say psych no we don't and they just completely throw it all out the window um, you mentioned Andrew Cogliano, and you actually asked him a question this morning about the locker room and kind of where it's at. And that kind of goes back to my initial point involving uh, where we've all seen this before. It just seems like Martin Jones gave a quote about it where he said everyone just went their own way and did their own thing. So you asked Cogliano this morning um, what the fragility is, like, of the locker room currently at this moment. And we're actually going to play the quote uh, right now of, of what Andrew said. So we're going to play that for you right now. If you're fragile, then, you know, you shouldn't play really. Um, that's just, you know, if you're going to be weak in terms of uh, getting through these moments and these times, and, you know, that's not the attitude we need at this time. So um, I think what it boils down to, I think our veteran players haven't been good enough. Um, I don't think we've led the way enough. We have a lot of young guys in the lineup. Um, we have a lot of guys, you know, I don't know, we had six or seven rookies playing last night. So, um, you know, I think when, when, when I look at how we're going to have success, I think we need energy from our young guys. I think our young guys need to, um, you know, play with, with energy and, and enthusiasm and, and play hard because that's what, um, you know, they're, they're new to the NHL and they should play like that. And, and the leaders on the team and the veterans and the guys that have been here and been around and been in the league for a while, they need to play the right way and they need to lead the way in terms of playing the system properly and playing uh, detailed and, and let that trickle, trickle down to other guys. So, um, you know, if, if, if we're cheating and we're not playing the right way and we're giving up goals against and, um, 
and we're we're not playing a detailed game, we're not playing structured, then how do we expect younger players to do that? So um, this is this is more on the leaders, if anything, and more on the veteran guys. Um, I think we need to do a, do a better job of setting the template of how we need to win a, win a game. Um, and we need the younger guys to follow us. And, you know, if we have that combo of, of enthusiasm from them and leadership and structure from, from the older guys, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of this. So Shang, I think it's, uh, I think it's important what he said about the guys bringing energy and maybe we'll see that and in, in, with the current move of bringing up or recalling Adam Raska from the Barracuda. Maybe that's something that the Sharks are trying to do. They're trying to inject some energy and some enthusiasm. But I think the biggest thing that he said that um, really kind of caught me was holding the veterans accountable. accountable. And that's a, a consistent theme that we've seen throughout the year. Mark Edward Vlasic getting scratched, Timo Meyer getting benched in overtime for a, a bad play, quote unquote. And I would say that Timo is classified as a veteran on this Sharks yes, team. Yes, he is now. Yep. He's he, he's a vet on this team. So um, Cog's bringing up a great point about you know you shouldn't be here if you're if you're fragile for these types of, of moments. And again, I'm I'm paraphrasing there. And um, they you know this this kind of stuff happens to teams all the time you go on these type of schneids or these skids and so it's on the veterans to continue to play a structured game and i think that that's where it starts uh for the sharks and i think that's where the overreaction is kind of coming in because you're okay with losing games as long as the structure is still there you're never okay with losing games but you're like shit they got a couple lucky bounces they beat us three to two something like that but when you go back to back giving up some high scoring games, one where you gave up eight, another one you gave up six, and then just recently you gave up seven to the Coyotes, that's where I feel like the tinder is being thrown into the fire here for the overreaction from Sharks fans. And I think that part is fair. Uh, I haven't liked what I've watched, even as a non fan, but just. Uh, observing what I watched from the Sharks earlier this year and a lot of the good hockey that they played earlier in the season yeah. to what I've watched recently, which is frankly bad, horrible hockey and more reminiscent of what I watched uh, last year. I haven't liked what I've watched either, so I get that it's been an ugly stretch. Um, I don't really think that it was quite that ugly against Seattle and Vancouver. That was more... Uh, they maybe played down to the level of the of the competition. They didn't really raise their level, and they should have at least at least one one of those two games to get a win there, uh, winnable games there. But they didn't play badly in either of those games. Arizona, they did play badly, but Arizona is a worse team, and so the Sharks were able to skate by. Obviously, Pittsburgh in period one and Detroit in period two was some pretty ugly hockey and unacceptable hockey. And if it goes that way, then yes, I, if it keeps going that way, then I, I get where the fans are coming from. But right now at this very moment, and again, right now this very moment, January 5th, before the Buffalo game, before Buffalo paced them 9-2 to tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right now at this moment, I do consider it a overreaction. You mentioned, well, what if the Sharks just win the next two games? So I did the numbers. If the Sharks win the next two games, they're 19, 16, and one. And that is a 89-point pace over 82 games. And guess what that is? That is a fringe playoff team. So 
that <laughs> seems like actually a Sharks team that is outperforming expectations. Uh, that seems like a Sharks team where the attitude is keep calm and carry on with your mid-first round draft pick. Um, I also to another point that I wanted to touch on too is you talk about the holding veterans accountable, what uh, Cogliano said. And another guy who's actually, this is some interpretation. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, but it seems like Evander Kane is also being held accountable. Uh, maybe he should have been held more accountable last year. That's obviously what a lot of people will say. But it seems like he's being held accountable for stuff he did last year. And that's why he has not been welcomed back in the Sharks locker room. And there seems to be no reason to believe that he will be welcomed back in the Sharks locker room. I just wanted to add that um, mm-hmm. at, to the examples of Vlasic and Meyer. And so anyway, I think that we are, and you mentioned this earlier, Nick, uh, that we're at a b- bit of a crossroads for this team. And indeed, they can go the way that they have been going the last four games, which is chasing offense when they shouldn't be and not playing to a tight defensive structure. Um, and I do want to bring up this point. That I've said a couple times on previous podcasts, but just to repeat, I know this team is star-studded with Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, but these are not the same. This is not the same Brent Burns. I don't think there's the same Eric Carlson, even though there's some flashes. Um this is not a team that should be running and gunning. This team's not good enough for that. They tried a little bit of that, a little more offensive focus last year. Uh, I, again, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago on NBC Sharks about how the Sharks uh, uh, forward up high was looking to stretch out, looking for the breakaway pass last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if that pass didn't come though, if there was a breakdown defensively by the Sharks, then the, opposition would have a pretty good chance because you have one Sharks forward who's already stretched out, who's far away from the defensive zone. And this year, the focus has been that forward does not stretch out. That forward actually goes back into the defensive zone to help out. And that's been a big part of the Sharks defensive improvement uh, before Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And just that itself is an example of, a Sharks team that their team is better for that, better for that focus. This team is not the 2018-19 Sharks that had nine 50-point scorers, not including Eric Carlson and Jonas Donskoy. So again, the Sharks had nine 50-point scorers in 2018-19, not yeah. including <laughs> Eric Carlson and Jonas Donskoy. That's how good that team was. That team could run and gun. That team could live with Martin Jones and his three-plus goals against average. This Sharks team is not that team. And yeah. so they need to play. And it's not the most exciting hockey to watch, but they need to play a tight defensive game. They need to play as a five-man unit. I do believe they need to get pucks in deep, win it on the four check, things like that. Boring hockey, but it's the best path for winning hockey for the Sharks. And so we're at kind of a crossroads now where they need to figure out if, if, if that's really how they're going to play it. And I wrote about that in my article about the Detroit loss, where it's easy to play to your system when you're getting 
930 plus save percentage, uh, 930 save percentage from uh, James Reimer. Yeah. And it's harder to do that when James Reimer is doing his best Martin Jones impression and kind of, eh, you know, making some good saves and then kind of giving up goals where you're like, oh, man, I wish wish he he, he would have stopped that at that moment or wish that uh, uh, you know, or, or, or that it just was a bad goal that he, that he gave up. And when that's kind of when 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 that uh, when your last line of defense is sort of um, you know uh, uh, leaking like like it has been with Reimer recently, then it's easy. It's human nature to kind of it, to 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 kind of fade away from uh, doing the hard stuff, playing defense, uh, back checking, uh, not chasing offense, that sort of thing. It's human nature to go for the easy stuff. And then that's how you get burned. That's how you fall down 6-1 against Pittsburgh in the first period or give up two shorthanded goals uh, and lose 6-2 to Detroit. So this is going to be a good test, uh, like Cogliano says or alluded to, for the veterans and for the young players that can the Sharks focus and stick to a dump and chase defense first identity, which is what they did successfully for, I think, the, in the earlier part of the season. Can they stick to that? Whether or not the goaltending is there, whether or not they've got all the players around them, Logan Couture, all or any other player that might go into COVID protocol. And if they can't, then I get then it's not an overreaction by the fans. That means that it's another lost season without progress, too. You know, I think yeah. that you can say the Sharks can progress this season and say that this season was a step up even if they missed the playoffs. That's my opinion. I not may not everybody will agree with that, but but if they end, let's say, at uh, high 80s in the points and they stay very much in the playoff race until the end of the season, I would consider that a, a successful season for this Sharks. This current Sharks team with their talent level. That's my opinion, at least. It would at least be an improvement from what we've seen the last two years, at least. So that's one way they can go. Uh, if they continue down this path that we've seen, since, especially since the Arizona game, this kind of... Um, I will say uh, weak-minded hockey. You know, it's easy, again, to play this structure when the score is 0-0 or the score is 1-0 or if you're getting the goaltending. But when the game kind of slips away for this or that reason, be it a fortunate Todd, uh, not Todd, Tyler Bertuzzi goal in the first period that just bounces off of Reimer's feet or a couple of shorthanded goals, which were very bad plays by the Sharks in general. Yeah. Can you get your mind back into identity and playing the way that you need to play to start to chip away at that deficit? If you can do that, then you have a chance of being a good team and a chance of finishing the season kind of with a winning attitude. And if you don't do that, then yes, indeed, it is kind of what Sharks fans have seen a lot over the last three seasons. Here we go again and that sort of thing. And that I get. But right now, again, uh, on this on this date, I think it is a little bit of a premature overreaction. And it's probably Sharks fans kind of anticipating what's going to happen. If it's not the next couple games uh, of this road trip, it's some point this season. And I get that too. But we'll see. Yeah, it feels like one of those, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you type of situations where I feel like that's where the overreaction is kind of stemming mm -hmm. from. And I think that's okay, you know. Um, 
let's and like I said when I when I say I think that's okay I think it's warranted I think it's um when a team has let you down so as the Sharks have done from a fan's perspective here when the team has let you down um as far as like it, it doesn't even feel like it's competitive hockey at that point like you said weak-minded hockey um that's what really hurts because sure you you want to see the team compete if you lose a 3-2 game whatever it is what it is go out there you give 100 percent every time you're going to appreciate watching the game but if you show up and it's for nothing in the first period the first five minutes of the first period <laughs> i'm going to costco san jose sorry i'm not that's exactly what happened i'm sitting there i tell frankie i was like hey sharks game's at 10 a.m she's like what it's never at 10 a.m like it's an east coast start and then i just thought back to how many 10 a.m starts the sharks have won and i couldn't think of any and you see the goals that they give up and I'm like, yeah, we're going to Costco. Let's get out of here. We got groceries <laughs> to buy. We got toiletry, paper products. Like, we got stuff to do. I'm not sitting around watching this game. And I'm sure that most Sharks fans will agree with me on that point as well. So, yeah, James Rummer had a pretty great uh, quote to that effect after yesterday's Detroit game. Uh, he was asked, well, how much did you guys miss Logan Couture? How much did you guys miss Mario Ferraro? And he basically said, you know, we can't even think about or talk about those guys as, as, as excuses. Uh, we got beat six to two. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, we yeah. got beat here six to two. You know, if we got beat two to one, then maybe we can kind of say, man, yeah, it would have been nice to have a Logan Couture scoring ability in there to get that tying goal. But we lost by four goals. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's kind of what what you're getting at too. Yep, can't really really use that as an excuse so so the next question that we're getting into and um i think it's also a well-warranted question is what's the boiling point for us you know what's what's our boiling point to you know how long can this go on when's the turning point when is the last straw on the camel's back how many different analogies and phrases can i use to describe this uh, when do they pull the plug on Bob, and why would it why would it happen essentially in the season, Shang? Well, um, my uh, thought. Oh, first, I want to say that a boiling point isn't the right uh, uh, phrase for me because it's not going to be. It's not an emotional thing. Uh, I don't yeah. look at it from a fan's perspective. So I do want to uh, mention that. I think it's worth mentioning uh, in, in in my role. But I think uh, for for myself, like one would. It, makes sense to fire Bob in season. And I we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, we talked about whether or not Bob should be on the hot seat. And it's my belief that he deserves this year to see what he can do. Yeah. And we've seen some good things he's done in the last couple of years. And we talked about that in that podcast. And we've seen some bad things uh, that, that he's done in the last couple of years. And we talked about it in that podcast. So... I'm of the mind that it's going to take a lot for me to think that it's right to fire Bob Bugner in season. I think, I still think after, you know, again, you know, talking about over, overreacting, right? Like I'm not going to change my opinion just based on a couple of bad games, uh, back-to-back bad games against Pittsburgh and Detroit. I yeah. still believe at this point he deserves the whole run of the season. However, of course, there are circumstances that would necessitate 
letting him go, letting him go right now, or again, mid season or whatever. And for myself, I think it's mainly if there's evidence that he's lost the room. And I don't think there's any real evidence of that right now. But some evidence would be if they continue to play in the same style that they did against Detroit and Pittsburgh, where they're chasing offense when they really need to be butting down and playing defense if it's a close game. You understand if a team is going to try to, you know, if the team gets down 6-1, to like the Sharks got down against Pittsburgh, right? And then so they start to take chances for offense, try to get themselves back in the game. You get that. You don't yeah. expect them to play uh, defense first, uh, button down hockey when you're down five goals after 20 minutes. Yeah, you got to start making, you got to start taking some chances. Right, 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 right. Decisions. But, and I wrote about this in my article about the Detroit loss. Detroit scores those two really uh, momentum shifting, back breaking, shorthanded goals, right? 37 seconds apart to make it three to zero. But, a minute later or so, Jasper Weatherby makes it three to one. So it's a two goal game with close to 40 minutes, 35 minutes, 35 minutes left. That's a very winnable game. Uh, if you're the Sharks, at least the deficit is not is not uh, this overwhelming deficit. And that to me is a point where you've got to. Button down and play. That defense first, uh, dump and chase kind of hockey. And instead, and I clipped plays, uh, clipped examples of it, and it wasn't just the players that I clipped, but really the whole team. The team started chasing offense, you know, started taking risk. Uh, in a two-goal game, once again, with 35 minutes left, this isn't a two-goal game with five minutes left. This is a two-goal deficit with 35 minutes left, and you're taking really silly risk uh, for the puck to try to win the puck and then to try to try to uh, get a good chance. And to that, to me, is weak-minded hockey. And if that continues, that means that the team isn't taking to Bob's message. And that means that, as I suggested in an article, that means that the team was taking to Bob's message when it was easier to take to Bob's mess to Bob's message when you yeah. were getting nine thirty six save percentage goaltending from James Reimer. So if there's more evidence of that of, of a team that has kind of tuned out how Bob wants him to play, because I think how Bob wants him to play right now is the right way. I, I mentioned that uh, earlier in the podcast. If they stop playing to that way. You can blame all the players, of course, but usually in that case, still, if they've tuned out the coach, the coach gets fired, even if the coach's message is the right or accurate one, but the coach is the, the guy who takes the brunt of it. And so there had to be some evidence, you know, like, I guess my answer is not a great one because it's not like a hard evidence thing. It's not like if they lose five in a row or if they lose the next three by 10 goals combined or something like that. That'd be a hell of a prediction. Right. <laughs> right. But I so there's something nothing hard like that, but if there's evidence that the the sharks have tuned them out, Bob Bugner out, then yes, then, then it's time time for him to go. Uh not not at the end of the season, but it could be tomorrow. It could be two months from now if there's evidence of that. Um but until we have that, and I don't think we do have that then I think it's fair for him to write out the season and see what he can do. Gotcha. 
that's um it's well worded i guess i could say it's it's not a definitive answer and i think it's impossible for us to give definitive answers in this situation just because of uh where this team's at and like we said we're not trying to overreact here we're trying to bring trying to gather all the logical thoughts and block out all the noise when it comes to this so sometimes that can be really difficult for me especially as a fan when i'm sitting there and i'm watching this team that i am just madly in love with as a human being right and you want their success it's like your child essentially at this point you want them to do nothing but succeed but it feels like you're you're helpless in the fact that you can't help them in this situation and so it's easy for fans to pull out the torches and the pitchforks and call for Bob Bugner's head or um, what I, what I don't like. And what I think is um, irresponsible is the uh, speculating of like bad leadership from like within the locker room. Um, that's not, that's not anything that we'll know. We're not in that locker room. We don't know how that locker room functions. We don't know who plays we don't learn about until the off season when people yeah. complain to reporters like me. So <laughs> we, um, <laughs> We thought everything was perfect, perfect and dandy in the locker room with Evander Kane until the exit interviews, you know. And so, um, another example is, I think it was back in 2016, the Sharks were down four goals, I believe, against the Arizona Coyotes. And then there's a, a video from within the locker room in the off season that gets released of Joe Pavelski just kind of tearing into people, and then going out and just, I think he scored a hat trick that game. And so. We don't know about any of that that stuff happening. You don't know about any of the colorful language that Peter DeBoer used during the 2016 Cup Finals uh, run. You know, you don't know about any of that stuff. I think it's irresponsible for us to assume what's happening inside the locker room. But to circle back on what I said two weeks ago, and I think I'm going to double down on it, it would take a catastrophic collapse of this Sharks team and like Shang said, I'm not going to tell you they got to lose by six goals for the next three games to make that decision. But you, you're going to need to see something catastrophic happen on this Sharks team. And it starts, like you alluded to, um, with giving up on the coach, with no longer buying into the system, with um, tuning everything out, going through the motions, and you'll see the symptoms on the ice. You'll you'll see the symptom of the problem essentially on the ice. And we won't know exactly what caused it or or what led it to happen. But I think what we're seeing these last two games is a symptom of that, where the, the players aren't um, getting back to that defensive style that they're playing or that they w had success with. You know, so if this trend continues. I think that's the only way that uh, Bob Bootner would get fired in season. Um, so to answer that question and to answer the, the the call to arms from all the Sharks fans that are listening to this, that have sat there and just face-palmed at what they're seeing on the ice and immediately going to calling for the head, uh, calling for the head coach to be let go, I feel um, as though you're not going to get that relatively soon you're not going to get that tomorrow you're not going to get that even if they lose 9-2 against buffalo i don't think it'll happen but you're going to have to see uh, a full-blown implosion I, I and 
a really, really bad one, a catastrophic implosion of this team um, before the end of the year in order for uh, Bob Bugner to be let go and um, for John McClain or, or whoever to take over. So. Hey, we want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor, DraftKings. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that will make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. That's right. They just got to score. They literally can't not score. So you should probably take advantage of this opportunity. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, it's not a problem. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. It's simple. I've told you the instructions before. I'll say them again. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER so shang it's a quite a conundrum a crossroads that that the sharks are at and they're gonna have to make a decision essentially in the end are they gonna uh fall back into old bad habits or are the veterans of this team gonna step up revert back to what has worked and turn things around sooner rather than later and i think that'll dictate where this team goes so Moving into our final segment now, most of you that have been listening since uh, the beginning of this podcast, we've devoted a segment to the Sport Logic Stat of the Week, um, and we're kind of expanding on that this week. We're making a because we've got more stats. <laughs> we got more stats, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The thing that everyone hates the most right now, the Sharks' power play. Right? It seems like if they get put on the power play, and it showed against Detroit. If they put on the power play, it doesn't matter. The team has a higher percentage chance, it feels like, to score against them now than the Sharks have of scoring. So we have an, a bit of an advanced breakdown that we're going to do for everyone. Again, it's courtesy of Sport Logic, And I'm going to kind of intro with where the Sharks are at and kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the year. We talked about you want league average. League average power play would be a huge improvement for this Sharks team. Compared to last year, right? Um, they're not at league average right now, Shang. They were for a hot minute. But they're at 17.4% on the power play, which is ranked 22nd in the NHL. That's officially bottom 10. We're back in bottom 10, boys. <laughs> um, it's 10th, obviously. 10th worst. Um, but it is bottom 10 in the NHL. So, Shang, let's let's dive into this breakdown and let's, let's get this puppy started. Yeah, one thing that I've observed is... I feel like the Sharks aren't shooting enough on the power play at the moment. The power play philosophy to start the season was to simplify, to get pucks on net, uh, to 
not try to be as fine and fancy with the puck. And I feel like they haven't been doing that recently. And I think the Detroit debacle was a good example of that. In that five-minute major, felt like nobody wanted to really take that shot. And they were worried that they would lose the puck if they shake the shot and a goalie kicks it out or take the shot and it bounces to the penalty killer and it's cleared and then they got to start over. But there was not a, not anybody in my mind really taking charge on that five minute major uh, to start off, start with too, even before the shorthanded goals. And to underscore that point against Detroit, uh, they had nine shot attempts nine power play shot attempts in eight minutes, about eight minutes of power play time. And if you do the math there, uh, per 60 minutes, that's about 70, uh, 70, 80 shot attempts, right, per 60 minutes. What do the Sharks want to be in that number is they want to be in the low hundreds. Um, Right now they are, I think, 10th in the league in shot attempts at five on four per 60. And that number right now for the Sharks is about 103 shot attempts per 60 minutes. So basically, Shang, what you're saying is that they once again got away from the identity that they had previously established that worked. Yep. Okay. Well, that's that's wonderful news that we like to hear. <laughs> that's a but, good sign. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a lottery pick. <laughs> yeah. If you're one of the tank truthers, that's a good yes. thing. But we wanted to kind of break this down bit by bit we wanted to kind of tell the story of the power play and where it's working and where it's failing essentially and what better way to do that than with more advanced stats right yep so we're going to try to take it through we're not going to do every single advanced stat and break it down this and that it's just a mess to do that and we're trying to make this as easy listening as podcasts you know something you can listen to on your way to work with a beer middle of work whatever you want to do so we're going to take it chronologically until a certain point. Then we'll kind of have to break off from there. So so chronologically speaking, Shang, you want to win the face off the second the penalty gets called, right? But that's not what we're focusing on. We're focusing on what we deem to be step one to a successful power play. And that's controlled zone entry success. And so breaking that down and what that means in layman's terms, Shang, Go ahead and tell everyone, if it's not as obvious as it seems with the name, what what does that mean? It just means uh, gaining the zone when you're breaking out with the puck, with possession of the puck. It means not dumping it in. I know that the Sharks are a dump and chase team, but on a power play, you have an extra man, so you don't necessarily want to be dumping and chasing in that situation. You want to cross the blue line with the puck. Yeah, and it's you have an extra guy. You you should be able to make a, a relatively easy zone entry uh, into the offensive zone. But that seems to be where the Sharks are struggling pretty heavily. They're they're ranked thirty first in the league. That's bottom two, baby. And as far as percentage goes, because this is a percentage of time, so only fifty seven point seven percent of the time are the Sharks doing a controlled zone entry. I mean that that's the foundation of what I feel like a power play can thrive off of. So yeah. when when you have a team like uh 
New Jersey, who's doing it 75% of the time. That's the number one team in the league doing it. That kind of gives you a scope of how badly the Sharks are at entering the zone with the control of the puck. They only do it half the time successfully, just over half the time. So that's probably one of their, their biggest flaws, and I'm not sure if it's a system thing, um, but that's something that the Sharks need to obviously work on moving forward. So, Shing, what would that? What else would that mean, as far as from your perspective, or is there any other sort of uh, breakdown that you could give us? Yeah, you know, for what it's worth, uh, New Jersey they may be leading the league in that uh, number, uh, that that area, but it hasn't led to power play success for them. It's not an automatic thing. The Devils actually have a worse power play than the Sharks. They're at fourteen point three percent success rate, which is twenty ninth in the league, and so. Being able to enter the zone with uh, with control isn't a be-all, end-all thing. I think, though, uh, why you do prefer to enter the zone with the puck is it makes it easier to get yourself set up faster. If you dump and chase it, and hey, if you win the puck on the dump and chase on the, the power play, that's great. But that's also a few seconds loss off of your power play time, as opposed to just skating it in and setting up right there. So it's it's a obviously it's a recipe. It's a recipe for mm-hmm. success. One single thing can't necessarily kill, or I should say, make or break a, a good or bad power play. It seems to be a recipe of things uh, for success. Right, and I might add too that uh, last year the power play uh, that was run by Rocky Thompson, and Rocky Thompson was known in, in his days with the Windsor Spitfires and the Chicago Wolves for uh, creative power play breakouts. That was sort of a signature Rocky Thompson thing, and he brought some creative power play breakouts to the Sharks. And I remember last year I got to look back at the exact stat uh, or the exact finish, but the Sharks actually were pretty decent in terms of of uh, gaining the zone with with control on the power play under Rocky. I think they were mid-range last year. But, of course, the power play in terms of success rate was, well, do you remember the percentage last year, Nick? It was horrendous. <laughs> right. We don't even need to put in the number. I believe that it was actually worse than that New Jersey number that I just told you, that 14.3. It was third to last in the league, I believe. Yep, and so once again, uh, it is like Nick mentions. It, it's one It's some, one thing you want to do well, but it doesn't. it's not a death knell for your power play if you do not do it well. And uh, moving forward with our recipe of success or lack thereof for the Sharks, um, the next stat we want to kind of take a look at, Shang's going to do another dive into. You're, we're pretty much going to do a, a pretty good explanation on what all these mean for the Sharks. Um, no pressure shot attempts. The Sharks are actually second best in the league at no pressure shot attempts at 2.68. Um, so well, Shang, that's, go that's ahead. probably a bad thing, actually. No pressure shot attempts means that they're not getting... Uh, pressure in front of the goalie, basically, right? And I think that what that speaks to with the Sharks is they do want to have the shot mentality, and that means sometimes they're looking to get shots off before the net front person establishes uh, establishes a, a presence and in, in front of the uh, the opposite goalie. 
And so you might maybe want the the guy shooting the puck, the point man, maybe to take that extra beat so a Nick Bonino uh, or whoever's playing that front uh, can't get to the front. But it also speaks to, if you want to talk about the larger picture, and we have another stat that actually relates to it, but the net front position for the Sharks this year has been a bit of in flux. Uh, Nick Bonino has been the most constant. But beyond that, though, it's really been a grab bag. There's been some Jasper Weatherby on another unit playing net front. It's been a little bit of Tomas Hurdle from time to time. Um, that doesn't speak well to the overall health of the Sharks power play in terms of uh, you want uh, you want you want guys who are good for that position on the power play, the net front, and you want them to kind of be there uh, and consistently there for the duration of the season. And besides Benino, you really haven't seen that uh, from the Sharks power play. Yeah, and that kind of moves into our next recipe or our next ingredient for this recipe is power play percentage of shots on net that are screened. And uh, the Sharks are actually doing a little better in that category at seventh uh, with a 27.1%. Uh, a percentage on that category. So that kind of alludes to what you were saying about uh, them getting a body in front of the net, correct? Yep. I mean, the formula for the Sharks uh, power play is to get a lot of shots, uh, get a lot of rubber on net shot mentality, and it's to have that shot mentality with a body in front, with traffic in front. And naturally, when your mentality is to get a shot off quicker and not to set up for the pretty play or not to set up basically not to take as much time and just get that shot off, then you're going to have a lot of no pressure shot attempts, which is bad. But then you're also going to have a lot of shots on it that are screened, which is good. And so the Sharks do do well in this area. It's sort of a, I, I think that's uh, no pressure shot attempts and shots on net that are screened being uh, high up in both categories is sort of a, kind of a give and take of, of, of that shot mentality power play. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Moving into our our next category here, next statistical breakdown, um, one that I feel like matters quite a bit. And again, that's just personally here for me. I Again, another tweet of mine, uh, remembering when the Sharks power play unit used to have shots on net. And that's our, our next category, essentially, power play percentage of shots, shot attempts, excuse me, that are on net. Now, this isn't shot attempts in general. That's that's very important to kind of uh, realize. This isn't a shot that's blocked, a shot that's wide. Uh, this is a shot that actually makes it on net. And so the Sharks are sitting at, lo and behold, bottom 10, 22nd in the league at 49.8%. So uh, just about 50% of the time, it seems that they take a shot, it actually reaches the net. Am I correct in that that breakdown or in that um, that explanation? Um, yeah, basically, it means, uh, like you said, 50% of the time, any, any shot attempt they take is making it on net. So before it gets there, it could be missed, it could be blocked, um, you know, uh, what, what have you. And... To underscore this point, um, St. Louis is the top team in this category. Uh, St. 61%, 61.2% of St. Louis power play shot attempts, uh, it becomes a shot on goal. And for what it's worth, St. Louis is the best power play in the league at 30.2%. They're tied with the Oilers. Uh, this doesn't mean necessarily that this is sort of the the silver bullet stat, what you must do well. But it makes sense, though, that when you shoot, you want 
to challenge the goalie. You want to make the goalie make a save on whatever you're shooting. And so the Sharks do not do that. Do not do this uh, particularly well. Uh, they're missing the net or getting blocked uh, too often. Um, so that is uh, this is an area that they can look to it, look to improve. I think it's something uh, to mention here for those that don't follow advanced stats or like fancy stats. Um, the last two points that we talked about, typical hockey cliches, right? You got to get in the dirty areas. That's your shots yep. on net that are screened. And then you got to get pucks on net. You got to hit shot the net. On. <laughs> so, you know, you want to you want to look at the hockey cliches and live your life by those cliches. Well, now we're breaking it down that the Sharks are only getting the puck on the net 50% of the time. So 50% of the time to take a shot. So moving into our next one. And this one's um, pleasantly surprising for me, and I think it has good justification, and it, and it makes sense. The Sharks have very good bodies down low on these power plays, and Nick Benino, Tomas Hurdle, even Jasper Weatherby. Um, power play percentage of offensive zone shot attempts that are recovered. So I'm going to say that one more time, a little slower. So the percentage of shot attempts that are recovered. Shang, yep. have fun. So Brent Burns takes a shot. Cam Halbig kicks it out to the corner. Who's going to get it first? Is it going to be Logan Couture or is it going to be uh, Jonas Brodin? And the Sharks, like Nick said, they are second in the league in terms of the uh, percentage of shot attempts that they're able to they're able to win the loose puck to or to recover. And so that's something that the Sharks do well. That basically means Burns takes that shot, Couture recovers, and they're able to kind of start that uh, uh, start uh, start that uh, circle once again of uh, Brent Burns back up top, and let's see what he does with the puck. So that's a good thing. It hasn't obviously translated to too much. Uh, too many goals for the Sharks, but that's an area that they're doing well and they want to keep doing well. That will lead to goals. Yeah, and um, really quick, I wanted to give comp because if they're second in the league, everyone wants to know, okay, who's number one? It's Toronto. Now think of the star-studded lineup that they have and their ability to retrieve uh, pucks down low and the price tags that they carry and equate that to the Sharks players. So, yep, And Toronto has a 30.1 power play percentage, so uh, that's a pretty good uh, power play success rate. <laughs> yeah. And um, you talked about St. Louis leading the NHL on power play. They actually, uh, they're a top team in three of the stats that we're looking at here that we're talking about, and uh, one of them coming up as well. It's crazy how we talk about the recipe for success, and if you can create little strengths if you can make these the majority of these areas that we're talking about we feel have more influence on a successful power play if you can increase the tiniest little detail on increasing the the percentage of the majority of these stats i feel like you see a big bump in the sharks power play percentage just off of pure principle like that's just how it's going to work if you're doing the right things the majority of the time the bounces go your way it's not fluke stuff the majority of the time. This is manufacturing goals, much like how you manufacture runs in baseball. So our second to last stat that we want to get into, it's the power play shots on net from the slot. I believe that's the one that we wanted to kind of go through as well. It's 
hard to kind of grasp again with the way that they phrase these and that the word for is thrown in on the end there so it's not against but power play shots on net from the slot the sharks are 10th best in the league at 1.09 so shang ex- explain to that or explain that to everyone right you know, uh, exactly 1.09 uh, per game it's just basically how many shots are you getting from the slot because you want to get shots from the slot right middle yeah. uh middle uh, uh middle in and that's a good scoring area, prime scoring area. Uh, underscoring the point, the top team in the league in this category is Toronto. And like we mentioned, Toronto has had a very good power play this year. Uh, San Jose being 10th in the stat, uh, you would think that having this quality of chances, middle of the ice, close to the goalie, that should lead to more goals. And it hasn't. Uh, maybe it will. Maybe the Sharks will benefit from some regression from the mean in this area. But this is something that the Sharks power play is actually doing okay at, uh, getting these quality of chances. But it leads yeah. to the very final stat, which might be the Sharks' biggest problem on the power play. Yeah, we um, we talked about start to finish, right? You, you got to be in the zone. You want controlled zone entry. The Sharks are horrendous at controlled zone entry. And to, to bookend this uh, the power play woes, is another category that they don't seem to uh, finish well on, I'll say, and that's power play true shooting percentage. And that's, and I'm seeing here in the equation, it's goals per shot attempts on the power play. And the Sharks are at a measly 5.2%, second worst in the NHL. And, of course, to, uh, to equate that, best team in the league surprise surprise as also has the best power play in the league at st louis at double that literally double that 10.4 percent so shang break it down what's the power play true shooting percentage well typically shooting percentage is calculated by how many goals you scored uh, divided by your shots on net so this is a way to to uh Figure out how many goals you're scoring, uh, not against your shots on net, but on all your shot attempts. So shots on net, missed shots, uh, blocked shots, basically goals divided by Corsi. And the Sharks are not performing well in this category, and it's because they don't have finishers. They don't have a lot of finishers. Um, Timo Meyer is one of their best goal scorers, but Timo Meyer is not a natural finisher. He's a volume shooter. I think he's actually uh, Swiss, correct? He's not Finnish at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I broke him, everybody. I broke Shane. Yeah. I broke him. Sorry. It's been a long, a long day. <laughs> I got a lot of Swedes, not a lot of Finnish, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so that, that's Timo's game. I think uh, Logan Couture, Tommy Hurdle, they're a little bit maybe more natural goal scorers, but they're not uh, great finishers in the you know the the fifty goal forty goal category type guys, right? Nothing wrong with that. They're great players in their own right, but this even leads back to why the Sharks would institute a shot quote unquote shot mentality power play, where it's about just getting rubber on the net. It's not about being fine and finding being fine and finding the best shot. And it's, again, because the Sharks don't necessarily have the finishers for that kind of power play for uh, let's 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 pass around the puck and let's uh, uh, move it around until we can get to that. Uh, that one timer, that sweet one timer from somebody 
or like a Max Patrick Ready one timer, or let's move around the puck and 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 get to the the empty net kind of goal, uh, the backdoor player or whatever, right? That's not the the Sharks uh, Sharks game. They don't have enough skill quite for that. And so that's why you would institute a uh, kind of a meat and potatoes uh, basic power play, and you kind of write it out and hope that it ends up average. And right now it is an average, obviously, but there's reason to believe as long as the sharks keep shooting. And again, they don't revert back to what I was talking about, trying to be too fine, like they were against Detroit. If they don't revert back to that, if they can just get back to just fire away and don't worry, you know, every once in a while when you fire away, uh, the puck's going to rim around the boards and out. Every once in a while when you fire away, uh, it's going to get blocked by the opponent. It's going to be clear. Uh, but just keep firing away. Keep shooting because that is what the Sharks coaches want. And I do think that that is the best game plan for maximizing the Sharks power play percentage. Uh, They're not going to be St. Louis. They're not going to be Toronto. They're not going to be Edmonton. And that's okay. You can do a lot uh, in this league. If you can get your power play to average and above, let's say a 20% success rate. Uh, So this stat is indicative of kind of the Sharks lack of finishers and it shows also, I think, uh, how they need to score their goals. Actually, Timo Meyer is a great example of this. Uh, uh, Timo Meyer, the last couple of years, he hasn't shot the puck quite as much, I think. He's been too mm-hmm. fine. He's been trying to be a little too perfect. And that's not his game. Uh, Timo's got to keep shooting and shooting and shooting. And he's going to get some some goal, goals to go go in eventually. That's, that's his game. And... The Sharks should be emulating kind of a Timo Meyer in that sense. Uh, their goal on the power play should be fire away, fire away, fire away, and eventually uh, something will go in. Well, cannon barrage action there, just let loose. It also helps to have Timo Meyer's shot. So I'm pretty sure nobody does on that team except for Timo. Um, but from what you're telling me, I've derived the best possible option. The Sharks are going to draft Joachim Kemmel out of the Finnish Liga, and they're going to have William Eklund just feeding him passes, and he's just going to finish all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds uh, good in theory, uh, but, yeah, I'd like to see that in practice. I remember when the Sharks acquired Eric Carlson, and the assumption was that Carlson would be feeding Burns on a power play all day long, and that obviously did not uh, work out. And so we'll uh, see about uh, that uh, part of it. Yeah, but Brent Burns isn't finished, Shang. That's the whole point. That's the the key, the missing ingredient. He literally has to be finished in order to finish. So you've heard it here first. Sharks are drafting Joachim Kemmel. So. <laughs> no, I think this is a uh, in a, in a non joking tone here to to get back to uh, more professional and informative. Of course, I think this is uh, indicative of kind of what we see on the ice. We don't see a lot of goals being scored. We also don't see a lot of opportunities for the Sharks on the power play. But when they do get their opportunities, it seems like they are professionally squandering them. And uh, the lack of ability to generate a lot of these shots because they can't seem to control, they can't enter the zone successfully half the time, literally half the time. So um, I think this breakdown symptoms of or, or key ingredients of the the woes that the Sharks' power play is kind of going through right now. 
Yeah, and it doesn't really present, you know, these are seven different stats, and I'm not sure if they present the full story of what's going on with the Sharks power play uh, as well as I'd like, but they do present sort of different aspects of little areas that, you know, if you can get that controlled entry success to, let's say, in the, it may not be tops in the league, but get it into the, get it, get it into the, the low 20s maybe, right? Uh, that means you have a little more possession in zone, and that means more shot attempts, which in theory will mean more goals. Uh, but uh, my overall feeling about the Sharks power play is what I said in the beginning, that they just need to get more shots on that. They need to stick with that philosophy, that kind of simple philosophy. And mm-hmm. if they do that, I think that they'll be okay. And they'll feel more okay about themselves too, I think. Um, that Detroit uh, five-minute major, obviously there's nothing that's you're not going to get over get over giving up two shorthanded goals there but the sharks power play would have done themselves a big favor in the first couple minutes of that power play before we even got to the shorthanded goals of just firing away there and uh putting pressure on the red wings and making them chase pucks and uh tiring out their defense and things like that and that just kind of is is a i think a good feeling in terms of you're putting pressure on the other team. You're creating momentum for yourself as opposed to a power play where you're just kind of passing around back and forth uh, for 30 seconds. And then you get nothing out of it because somebody flubs the puck on a blue line, things like that. Yep. You should uh, keep it simple, stupid and uh, the old KISS acronym there and pass, pass, shoot. Shouldn't be making any more than two passes at the most, in my opinion, to find success. So, I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us today, Shang. Um, Pretty good in depth about the state of the franchise in season kind of right now. You know, we'll do a state of the franchise episode, probably end of season and talk about, you know, what they'll do moving forward or um, possibility with that. But as far as in season, I think this is a a good, uh, good little breath of fresh air. I hope that, Personally, I hope Sharks fans can listen to this and kind of have something to look forward to and have something to kind of watch for specifically because it's dreadful turning on the game, feeling like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this? Why am I All putting right, guys, myself yeah, Don't panic this? yet. If the Sharks <laughs> lose the next two games by combined 10 goals, Nick and I will do uh, emergency panic podcasts uh yeah. after the philadelphia game right <laughs> yeah it'll be uh wee woo it's that's the only name it'll be episode 22 wee woo that's all it'll be and then you'll know what it means everyone who's listening will know what it means so but that's going to wrap it up for us today make sure you guys go over to twitter shoot us a follow you can follow the uh the podcast at sj hockey now pod you can follow the network at hockey pod net if you want to see more great quotes from my uh, soon-to-be four-year-old son, you can follow me at NickFloor underscore. Um, and, of course, Shang. You can find me at Shang underscore Peng and all my work at San Jose Hockey Now and NBC Sharks. All right. That's going to do it for us here at the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Make sure you all are getting that New Year's resolution going. Stick to it. You can do it. We believe in you. Just write yourself some motivational notes if you have to. And, uh, of course, make sure you stay safe and stay hydrated.